When you see the name Imperia, it's a little imposing. And if you like language like I do, and as a classics major, I studied some of the roots of our English language in Latin and Greek, you'll understand that Imperia comes from empire, imperial. And what do you think of when you think of an empire or imperial traits? For me, it's some kind of authority, some kind of central figure that controls what it is that other people do or expands its power into other places. But when it comes to the kind of imperia we're talking about today with Jennifer Ganolo, it's a different kind of power. It's a transfer of power. It's empowering other people to build their own empires, and particularly women in this case. And I think it's a, an incredibly important concept for us to understand how other people don't necessarily have all of the abilities or don't have all of the opportunities that other people might have. And together, we can build something that allows them to see much more possibility and practicality and accomplishing what it is that they want to accomplish to make the world a better place. So as we have this conversation about the Imperia Code, I hope you'll keep that in mind and explore with us the great possibilities that Jennifer and her organization at Imperia is making possible. Have you ever admired a leader? and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? How he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? Dolly Parton said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Together, we'll explore key principles, not only in the sense of fundamentals, but also in the ethical sense, the habits, character traits, and virtues that form the backbone of leadership. Principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century. This is Timeless Leadership. Hi there, and welcome back to Timeless Leadership. I'm Scott Monty. I'm so glad that you're here with me again. If you don't subscribe to the Timeless and Timely family of publications, which includes this podcast, please get over to Substack and either search for Timeless and Timely or just go to TimelessTimely.com and uh, sign up. And please, if you wouldn't mind telling other people either about this podcast or about the newsletter, your endorsement is probably the most powerful thing that I've got going for me. And we are only as strong as you allow us to be. So I appreciate that in advance. Let's get to our interview. Jennifer Yanolo is a global development catalyst for women founders. Her incubator, Imperia, draws on her lifetime of experience as an entrepreneur with a curriculum uniquely designed to transform women from founders to leaders as they navigate the scale 
of their ideas. Jennifer shares her methodology of self-directed empowerment through Imperia and in keynote talks around the world, from the United Nations to corporate headquarters in Abu Dhabi and Harvard University. She's also a featured expert on women's entrepreneurship for the U.S. Department of State. Jennifer's currently the first entrepreneur in residence at One Tech Hub in Northeast Scotland, where she's piloting an in-person program for Scottish women founders. Jennifer was the first cohort for Backstage Capital's Venture Capital Apprentice Program, created by Arlen Hamilton, and is an expert judge for Pharrell's Black Ambition Prize. Her startup advisory clients have included Golden Globe and Grammy nominees, Forbes 30 Under 30 Rising Stars, Obama Fellows, and Global Pitch Competition winners. As a digital pioneer, Jennifer co-created the world's first food podcast network in 2006. She's been featured in international media, including Bloomberg Business Week, The Times of India, and the documentary Eat, Drink, Cook. Jennifer is a graduate of the NYU Stern School of Business and lives in New York City. Jennifer Yanolo, welcome to Timeless <laughs> Leadership. Hello. I, I would like you to read that every time I need to do anything, please. <laughs> All right. I, put me on speed dial. <laughs> Well, I remember listening to your, your bedtime stories on Clubhouse. Remember that? <laughs> oh, Clubhouse. Yeah, ages ago. <laughs> Always fun. Always fun. Well, you know, uh, as I was reading through your bio, and, and I know your Twitter handle is Food Philosophy, yeah. uh, I was reminded about the Food Podcast Network. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> it feels like 16 million years ago. Well, in some ways it was, right? <laughs> uh, it really was. Well, you know, it was at the dawn of podcasting. And I remember we went from the idea of it to the launch of it in 36 hours. And Whoa. yeah, and it was just sort of like, what if we did this? Um, and my co-founder was, he was a chef very into podcasting. So he was already listening to a bunch of podcasts. So he just reached out to those people. We did what we did. And then one of them happened to be a journalist for, I think it was the Seattle, the Seattle times. I'm sorry. I can't remember the name of it, but so she actually put it out on the wire. And so all of a sudden we were all over the place very quickly. Goodness. <laughs> it was crazy. And and, you know, we did some of the first deals. We had some major sponsors. We had big sponsorship dollars. So we monetized within a couple of months. That's incredible. Is, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So were you hosting <laughs> your own food podcast at the time? Yes. Yeah, so my show was Food Philosophy, uh, hence my Twitter handle. There you go. Yep. And, and you know, I, we have known each other for quite some time now. And I think what connected us was our, we're philosophers at heart. <laughs> and so, so back then I was philosophizing about the, the sensuality of food and the history of gastronomy and why we do what we do and gather at a table. So, um, so when I look at what I'm doing now, there, there definitely is a dotted line to the, the thematic undertone of everything. <laughs> yeah, and well, your, your ability to not only spot a trend, but to look for opportunities and organize people effectively and then give them the tools to go be as great as they can be in their own area of uh, expertise, that's exactly what 
uh, you're, you're putting together essentially with Imperia. That's my oxygen. It really is. Uh, it what gets it's what gets me out of bed for real. That's amazing. So so talk to me a little bit about Imperia and and mm-hmm. where the where the idea really began. Where you thought, hmm, you know, I, yeah. I see opportunities, not just here in the United States, because so many uh, U.S. entrepreneurs are so U.S.-centric. Your, yours mm-hmm. is really a global entity. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, and it's funny. I look less at the U.S. probably than anywhere else um, because of that. So I was – so at the time – I had just completed my work as a food journalist because I ended up developing a whole bunch of food allergies. <laughs> oh, and uh, how's that for yeah. karma? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, too many time zones, too many airplanes, not enough rest. Um, go, go, go! I burned out, and the way it manifested for me was with all of these food intolerances. So overnight that was it. I had to quickly switch what I was doing. So while I was feeling sorry for myself, I was, uh, Netflix was fairly new to the mainstream. So I was binge watching stuff and I was looking for something. I was looking for what was next. And I kept finding these documentaries on things that were happening with little girls and women around the world. Everything from Girls not being educated because their brothers were being sent to school instead. So if the family had to choose, the girl would not get the education. The the boy would. Um, To documentaries like Half the Sky. So I was just seeing this, this problem in the world where little girls were getting left behind. And so I, I thought, you know, there's something down this road for me. I don't know what yet. And as I started examining the, the scope of it all, I realized I did not want to be working on things like uh, human trafficking, like that was too heavy for me. But I thought, what are the root, some root things that I could work on? And during that time is when I I started telling my own story and it's sort of with a theme of resilience and how you could turn things around and look through a different lens and create something new. And I ended up working with the State Department, going to speak in different countries. And I kept seeing with each country that I would go to, there were these similar themes and it didn't really matter what economic strata a woman came from or what her education was or what her experience was. There were themes that we are delivered as we grow up being a woman on planet earth and they manifest in different ways, but there's always something around permission and self-esteem and, and confidence. So I just started looking at, what can I do about this? And that's where Imperia was born because I just, it's the first time as an entrepreneur, I've actually taken my time to find out what the real problem is versus what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the women of the world to tell me what they needed instead. And it's, it's taken 10 years. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, look, anything worth doing is, is worth doing well. And, you know, like you say, it's a matter of truly trying to find out what the root, mm-hmm. not the root cause, but what the root needs are. And yeah. um, I mean, to me, it's absolutely fascinating that in your travels and in your research, what you uncovered was uh, another truth of the universality of human nature. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did that surprise you at all? It did, because... 
I walked in with a, a context of, well, this is going to vary from country to country. And I often get asked that question. Well, how do you have something that's global if, you know, you have a woman from Switzerland and a woman from Nepal, but here's, here's the magic of this. So in the beginning, as I said, we were holding conversations and I had a think tank conversation on Zoom with college-aged women from, I think, five different countries. And there was a moment in which I asked them, so what's troubling you right now? What is the thing that you're struggling with? And this young woman from Mexico said, well, I'd really like to pursue a career in politics, but my family is really against this, particularly my father. They know it's a dangerous profession in Mexico, um, and they just really don't think it's a good idea. So I don't have support. Mm. And right away, a young woman from Nepal, all the way across the planet, said, you know what, I'm having the same kind of issues with my family. And all of a sudden, I still have goosebumps talking about this, because all of a sudden we could see, hold on a second, it doesn't matter what part of the planet you're from, if you are going against the grain, you will have to, to somehow create family support or not. You'll have to create support outside your family. These are discussions that need to be had. And so the universality of all of it in that moment gelled in my head and I thought there's more to this. And so we kept going. And so that's how we were able to develop a curriculum that really deals with what it means to be a woman on the planet creating a thing. <laughs> That's astounding. And, you know, to me, as, as I hear these, these stories from the woman in Mexico and the woman in mm -hmm. Nepal, uh, yeah, as a father of a daughter, mm -hmm. I instinctively understand the, the, the desire to protect your children. Yeah. And, you know, I would want to protect my sons as much, but there's a certain level of um, extra care, I think, that fathers give around daughters. It's just the reality of the way it is, I think. But... Um, I, the other thing that I know to be true with my own daughter, at least, is I want to empower her to be able to be a person of full standing and of capabilities when she goes out into the world. I don't want to be her protector forever, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I feel like in some ways I'm doing her a favor by not as being protective, even yeah. though I may feel like I'm doing myself a disservice as a parent. So that being said, and I got to imagine there's a lot of fathers around the world that feel the same way. Mm. Um, and I'm sure there's other fathers that simply want to, want to keep their daughters down too. So my yeah. question to you is this, Jennifer, how do you separate, uh, you know, a quote unquote, the patriarchy from mm -hmm. um, simply empowering women for the people they can become? Oh, that's such a great question. I'm so excited to answer it. So here's one thing that I will say that it, it may at first sound discouraging to you, but bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the thing is, pretty much no matter what you do, you can raise her to the highest standards and feel super great about that. And that's lovely. The moment she goes out into the world, she's going to get a very different set of cues and communications. Okay. Simply because that's how the world has been created, right? So the world that exists right now is not terribly female forward, if you are woman forward. Yeah. And so she's going to have to deal with it no matter what. However, this is where, this is the crux of what we do too, is that it's not so much about you empowering her. It's about you teaching her to empower herself 
so that when she encounters that messaging, she knows what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because most of the time, and look, it just happened in the question you asked, we have this context called, we need to empower women. We need to empower little girls. And so we offer it as this sort of thing that we're going to gift to these young women and they're going to wear it like a cape and be all set. (laughs) And the reality is we can't give it to them because if we can, we can also take it away from them. Mm, That's fascinating. Mm. So instead, what if we help them build the set of tools within themselves so that they are the source? They become like their own solar panel, if you will, where they recharge themselves and go out into the world and say, "Okay, bring me what you've got, because I know how to deal with it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, that is my answer. As as the Incredibles would say, no cape, darling. (laughs) Exactly. No capes. (laughs) No capes, unless you're having a fashion moment, which is a totally different but, thing. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the other metaphor I like to use, is, which is um, build a man a fire, keep yeah. him warm for a, a night, set a man on fire, keep him warm for life. Yeah. So I, I want to I hear about, I mean, you, you, you talked a little bit about some of the research there. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your research partners, like who else is involved in this kind of thing? Because I have to imagine that when, when you've got a vision as big as this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, preparing to bring it into the world to, to, <laughs> to give it birth. And I remember when you, you know, when you finally uh, unveiled it a couple of years ago, yeah. but more than a couple of years ago now, well, the things a pandemic will do your brain. It's all blurry. Um, I know. <laughs> Back when we used to travel and I would see you yes. in New York, um, Talk to me a little bit about about the collective and 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 all of the the things you had to consider as you were you were beginning to prepare to bring this into the world. Well, I'll tell you. So our our first round of research was really. I had some wonderful college students helping me, and we actually did research with the cohorts that we had. The first one that I announced was at the United Nations. I think that's what you're talking about, and. So we kind of did ground research and now we are, we're actually talking to several universities, I can't say which ones yet, to look at how we could build a more comprehensive study of this because there is, you know, there is some research that's being talked about now in terms of women and leadership and sort of gender differences and leadership styles. But I think what we're talking about, we need to go a step further than that. Uh, It's not so much about a gender lens. I think it's about what does leadership look like when it's not assigned masculine and feminine, but what is effective leadership when you're dealing with humans? So I think that's the realm that we are expanding into as we look at, again, going from country to country, seeing these similarities. So I know that doesn't directly answer your question, but that's kind of where we are with things. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. And I love hearing that about leadership because if you, if you listen to the intro of, of my show, I talk about, uh, I, I frame the leader in terms of a, a a woman and a man because too often mm-hmm. we simply default to you know male descriptors when it comes to leaders and I don't think that's right yeah. you know I I think anybody can be a leader my daughter's going to be a leader someday I can feel it she, definitely she she'll already, be in a future cohort I saw her lemonade stand yeah there you go <laughs> there you, well I'll, I will definitely direct her to you because <laughs> she needs a little tree she's very raw right now and. Yeah. Um, She's she's much more of a boss than a leader. 
and a leader well, around the house. Hey, but that's that's where I started too, you know. And that's I have a, a niece who's now I think she she's just on the cusp of her tweens. And when she was three years old, she walked up to me at a family barbecue and she said, "I'm the boss around here." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, clearly you are. Let me just assign everything to you from yeah, here on out." There you go. <laughs> hey, you're the boss. You're gonna get all the headaches too. That's great. <laughs> Um, but I, I love this idea of, you know, leadership of humanity, not leadership yeah. of, of uh, females or males um, or, or yeah. whatever non-binary descriptor you want. Just it, people. Mm-hmm. You know, we are all people fundamentally. Yes. So, so you've, uh, you've, you've created some cohorts here. And as I look across the representation, I mean, it is, it's amazing. Tunisia, <laughs> Algeria, Afghanistan, Nigeria. <sighs> The UK, yeah. Pakistan, Australia. I mean, t- talk to me a little bit about how bringing these women together, and I take it it is all virtual at this point. Um, well, our first uh, first cohort was global, okay. and then the second one was in the UK, so that one was in person. So now oh. we're designing a hybrid. Yeah, oh, so we, okay. We, had to t- we couldn't do anything in person because of the pandemic. Right. <laughs> But I mean, when you think about it, that that was actually the perfect time to launch because you it can was. test everything digitally and really bring together all these disparate people and see what their needs are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so what did you learn from that as you begin to 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 do these uh, these in person these hybrid uh, cohorts? Well, you know, we learned something really critical because the we know that it needs to be hybrid because. Digitally, we can reach everyone in the world, but there is magic in person. Mm. There is a magic that takes place building a community like this where, you know, the women that we're dealing with are probably the only ones in their community or the first ones maybe in their village or they're saying something contrary contrary to an entire industry Mm. so they are alone it's lonely and so one of the core premises for what we've created is we want it's kind of like sitting around the table and having a cuppa we want them (laughs) to be able to um, that that comes from my scottish mother so that we can all we can commiserate we can vent but then we can create and support Mm. and so we see what happens in the room and the moments that we had in the room in this cohort in Scotland were really special. So now we want to try and put those two things together because we think they're both necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't wait to see what happens <laughs> with all of this. I mean, this is just going to be fascinating. So uh, I, I want to hear a little bit about some of the success stories that you've, mm. you've seen so far. And I know you've got people from um, all over the world, from India and Afghanistan, Nigeria, yeah. Germany. L- let's hear a little bit about some of the uh, the case studies or the uh, developments mm-hmm. from each of these uh, each of these groups. Well, my my absolute dearest to my heart story is about the women who are from Afghanistan in our first cohort. Um, I was on WhatsApp texting with two of them as Kabul was falling, and thinking to myself, they, they had been working on women's education rights in Afghanistan for years. And now here suddenly their country was was falling down and, you know, (laughs) knowing that they could, they were beginning to hear the gunshots as the the city was under siege. It was just, I'll never forget it as long as I live. 
And in the days following, you know, we were, we, I ended up on these sort of back channel discussions with journalists from around the world, trying to get flight manifests and all these things. While all of this was happening, <laughs> these women were working underground to support the protests and they kept going. And I, I think to be under that kind of duress and still stay committed to your vision and your goals and take that kind of risk. I mean, at any moment they couldn't have, they could have been discovered. Mm. And so now they and their families are out, they're safe, they're pursuing their women's education goals. And so it, it <laughs> I, I like that one is my is my literal IV drip when I need to like keep going to do this when I wonder do, is it worth the bother sometimes? Yeah, you know. And, I mean, holy cow! I mean, yeah. You, you think about people here; they're like, you know, well, I'm trying to get funding for a startup for my <laughs> my 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 app store game. You know? Yeah, really. Yeah. Is it really? I had a, a really hard week. <laughs> <laughs> right. I couldn't get Wi-Fi for two hours. What? What? Yeah. And and these women, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's like out of a novel or a movie of of yeah. you know war stories, and and it literally mm -hmm. is a war story. That these are people yeah. who are fighting for their lives and fighting for things, not just that they just that they believe in, but things that are essential to mm -hmm. their fellow citizens. Yeah. I mean, when it was happening, we had to take down any record of them anywhere on Imperia. I had to take the photo of the cohort down. Oh. I didn't want any harm to come to oh, them. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's something we have to think about for every woman who applies. So we are, you know, talking to really high-level security people to figure out how do we make sure everybody stays safe. Yeah. Uh, so the <laughs> these are considerations that most startups don't really have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of intense. Well, sometimes. speaking of of strong women who are who go against the grain and who are standing mm -hmm. up for what they believe in and potential harm that can come to them, I would imagine that someone like Malala has been, uh, you know, kind of an icon for you as you think about this stuff. Oh, of course, yeah. is she involved in this in any way? You're getting her Not to keynote for you, or <laughs> not yet? Mm. But she's on the list. Um, actually, one of the women in our first cohort uh, created things with the women who were with Malala that day and uh, created some fundraising around what they were doing. And so so we have peripheral involvement with her, which is lovely. But, yeah, my goal is really we have this sort of um, this eye on. Let me put it this way. When this stuff was happening in Afghanistan, I thought to myself, okay, the real goal of Imperia is to have a community so strong that the next time this happens, I can make a phone call mm. and get a plane to where it needs to go so the women get out. Like that's really what calls us forward is that wow. that kind of community strength globally with a bunch of women. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. boy, I mean, what a service. I mean, it's almost like like an adjunct to the International Red Cross or something. A little bit, a little bit, with less bureaucracy. Yeah, well, there you go. That's always a good thing. Um, <laughs> so as, as you're describing some of these scenarios, and I know it's not the same everywhere around the world, there's struggles mm -hmm. that are endemic to different regions, different countries, et cetera. Um, but it almost sounds to me like some of these people, uh, like they almost might be going through something like PTSD, based yeah. on their experiences. How do you oh, sure. deal with that? 
Well, you know, we realize that that's going to be, we need to have resources for things like that. And so we've been talking about ways to, I'd like to be able to have a way for a woman to get support and or coaching when let's say the power's out, right? Let's say infrastructure is destroyed or something. So we're, we're trying to think about ways to provide that when they simply don't have anyone else. So that's part of the bigger picture, but we try to give them tools and we're actually going to bring on some psychology experts and things to really design some crisis, uh, crisis oriented information for them. So it's, it's part of the ongoing conversation. So right now it's more at the level of coaching for business and self-care and things like that. Okay. But we, we know that down the road, we do want to be deeper inside of that, that healthcare kind of conversation, if that makes sense, the mental yeah. health conversation. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, uh, we hear PTSD just kind of thrown around as a term. It, it, it mm-hmm. is a uh, psychologically uh, recognized uh, mental condition. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't just come from, you know, war-torn uh, environments or uh, no. victims of violence. It comes from a lot of things that cause traumatic stress. And um, I, I think everybody's going, going to um, respond to it differently. So having that kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, resource in your uh, in your network, I think, is going to be uh, really important. Um, yeah. So that that was that was Afghanistan. I, I, w- I would imagine there are others that are maybe not as you know <laughs> uh, dramatic as that, but that are sure. still significant in uh, the Imperial Network. Talk to me about some of the other yeah. uh, instances you've seen of uh, of these women and their agility. Yes. So, well, during the pandemic, you know, we, so we had just started the cohort. We were a few months in and I thought, oh my goodness. Okay. So I started hosting sort of emergency coaching calls, like, okay, where are you? What's happening? And one of our cohort members is a fashion designer in India. She, she creates these gorgeous, sustainably developed uh, saris and elegant evening wear and things for women. And So here she was with bolts and bolts of fabric, but nobody buying fashion. And so we coached her through what to do next. And I said, well, what if you started creating masks and PPE? So she was able to spin to that. She ended up with top government officials wearing her masks during like major media events and things. And I mean, this, this woman was already featured in Vanity Fair and like, so she was, she was already on her way and she had to pivot very quickly. So she ended up enduring the pandemic because she was able to produce the PPE. So, so part of all of, again, she, she now has a tool set inside of her where she can pivot and create, which was really special. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's those things, it's, it's those pivots, the resilience. I mean, in, uh, in Nigeria, there was another woman who, especially during the pandemic was working on making sure that people with disabilities still had access to education, still had access to infrastructure and things that they needed. And she was able to become then an Obama fellow. And so she's now in Washington. I think she's still in Washington, D.C., um, doing her fellowship. So, so you know, this, this ability for them to see beyond the circumstances right in front of them, because when, when you're in a developing economy in particular and then adding a pandemic to that, you're just literally moving from crisis to crisis, moment to moment. 
And of course, you know, and then even if you're in the U.S., you're dealing with that. And I, th- I think that everyone around the globe is dealing with some form of PTSD right now mm-hmm. and that we're not really talking about. I mean, we've, we've lived an extraordinarily strange life now for almost three years. We're, we are worn out. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> you, but I am worn out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty resilient. So, so I think that them having these tools they've been able to turn what's happening into something that's next for them. And it's really special to see that. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. So as you've seen these uh, women either uh, grapple with uh, the challenges that were in front of them, dig down deep to, to find that inner reserve, um, learn a new skill set or a new way of thinking of things, as you, as you think across some of these people that you've experienced and that you've heard from, is there any uh, one or more qualities that they have that make them the type of person that stands out? Because my, my premise is this. We all have the potential to lead others, but the world is not made up of leaders. If it were, mm-hmm. it, it just it wouldn't work right, right? There's always fewer leaders than there are followers, and that's fine. But... What is it about these individuals that makes them stand out and stand up? <laughs> that is the very question I asked myself as I was lying on the couch feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> um, I thought to myself, what if I could create something where I could be a flame spotter and find those people, find those, those women in particular who said, you know, not today, I'm doing this anyway. And it's a fire. It is, it is an unnameable quality. I, only, I call it fire because I don't know what else to call it. But it is this voice inside of them that says, throw whatever you have at me. I'm still coming for you. And it's, it's uh, my shorthand for it is the Imperia Code. There's some kind of coding in there. Hint, hint might be the title of the book, but, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but there is, there is a, there is a special alchemy and mm. I, you know, it's so funny because I started looking at this because I have some very close friends who have overcome unimaginable circumstances to have the success that they do. And it started me wondering, you know, and I look at someone like Arlen Hamilton, who, if, if, anyone in your audience doesn't know who she is. She's the first black entrepreneur on the cover of Fast Company. And she raised her VC fund while homeless, sleeping on the airport floor in San Francisco because she kept coming back. She was determined that she was going to create that fund. And now Mark Cuban is one of her business partners. So, you know, She's got that magic, and it's that magic called, I'm doing this anyway. Wow. Wow. So as you find yourself in the same room or in the same Zoom room uh, with some of these <laughs> women, um, I got to imagine you, you look at them and you look at their accomplishments and what, they're, what they still have yet to do and what they're mm. setting out to do. do. Do you ever you kind of look back at yourself and go, what, what the heck am I doing? I mean, <laughs> what did I do with my life? I mean, do you feel inferior next to them or do they inspire you or something else? 
they inspire me. I mean, look, I was a, I was an eight-year-old who wanted to be Alexis Carrington. Okay. I wanted my own oil company and an office in a skyscraper. <laughs> and uh, I have an office in a skyscraper. I don't have an oil company, but that's probably there's, a good thing. There's time. <laughs> there's time. Yes. I don't want an oil and gas Well, there company. you go. There you go. But no, I, I think what I wanted I wanted to be inspired, but I also wanted to be called forward because the the thing about my brain that is its blessing and its curse is I like problems that seem like they can't be solved. Right. Mm. So if you, if you had come to me 10 years ago and said, Hey, we would like to create an app that does a thing. I'm not, I'm not interested, Mm. but if you had come to me to say, we want to create something that is not an app that solves all the problems in the world. How would you like to take that on? So I like taking on things that seem impossible because it makes my brain work really, really hard. Mm. So when I see these women, all I want to do, yes, they inspire me. And I just want to give them tools. I want to give them everything that they need to conquer the planet with whatever they're doing. So I know that doesn't directly answer the question, but it's, I don't feel inferior because then I'm, why would I create something like this? And I say that not out of any kind of arrogance, but as a, as a calling, right? I want to create something wonderful that inspires and empowers and, and provides a, a path. Yeah. If that makes sense. It, it, it makes complete sense. You know, if I were in your shoes, I, I'd, want to do the same thing. I mean, this is, it, it's classic B2B where you are, you are um, not the, you are Intel inside, right? You, you are not the feature that everybody shows up for. You are simply an enabling technology. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And I think that if we could unleash this toolkit on every woman founder on the planet, which yeah. is the plan, <laughs> um, you know, that, that they really could conquer things. And the thing about it is we've looked at what we wanted to be and we realized that we don't need to be, let's say, an accelerator because what we actually do is provide what the accelerators are not doing. So we're actually a complement mm. to that. And it enabled us to see what what scale is for us because it really is with relationships with accelerators around the planet, which we're working on. So, so it's wonderful because there's a, there's a way of thinking that we have inside Imperia that is non-competitive. We don't, and we don't indulge that conversation Mm -hmm. because there is a story in the world called women compete with each other unhealthily. And (laughs) so we like the both and conversation. Yeah. Right. You create this and I create that. And what happens when we put them together? And I think it's it's a much healthier way to to build forward for all of humanity, quite frankly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You love chocolate. I love peanut butter. They're both delicious. Exactly. (laughs) You're the Reese's peanut butter cup. of uh, Totally. So I talk um, about that a lot, actually. (laughs) Well, as a food philosopher, I would hope that you would. You see, this all comes back to food. It does. It does. so you've got the uh, the Imperia Incubator, a global innovation incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, how does how does that work exactly? Can anybody uh, join an incubator or start an incubator with you? How how would you uh, welcome inquiries yeah. regarding that? So what we do is uh, 
we're still looking at the cadence of, of how we'll do this. It depends on what we're doing forward in Europe, but we go by cohort. So when there is a cohort about to open, we will announce applications. And yes, any woman who's founding something around the planet can apply. Um, the parameters for that, like the qualifications for that may evolve as we look at cohort three, but we're, so we're still in the thick of that right now. But we, yeah, we welcome women who are up to things. I mean, for right now, we, we basically send people to sign up for our newsletter to stay informed while we do that. But we go by cohort. And as we build partnerships with other institutions and accelerators and things, they may have their own cohorts. So it's, we're going one at a time. <laughs> well, you, you, you got to do what you can do right It's now, a big right? planet. We have to go one at a time until we get know. to 195. 195 <laughs> countries. What and then, and what's your what, what what kind of timeline do you have on reaching 195 countries? 2030. 2030. Okay. Yeah, which is pretty reasonable. We're at 20 right now. Okay. Um, but we've been in testing and stealth mode, so now we're about to really put the pedal to the middle. So I think we'll get there much more quickly now. Um, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of countries. Yeah. So do, do you find that you're getting to a point now where you've got a little more under your belt, a little more experience, you've, you've trained up some women or, you know, run mm -hmm. some of these uh, uh, cohorts. Do you find that you've got like some regional leads that can handle this stuff for you? We're getting there. Yeah. And we are, you know, we're, we had at the beginning, we're like, okay, well, let's go by continent first okay. and then see where we get to. But what's actually happening, and again, you know, as an entrepreneur, this is very difficult to to do, but I'm trying to be organic about it. I'm trying to let it happen and unfold. And so people will come to us and say, hey, I'm over here in this country. What could we do together? And so there's a part of me that it's like, yes, we have a plan. And then also we're allowing for the magic of, of our communications with the world and how people interact with us. So mm -hmm. we're, it's, it's a both and. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, if, if somebody were interested in getting involved in some way, mm -hmm. um, first of all, where do they go to find out more and what's required out of them? What are you looking for, for part from participants? Mm. We are looking for both in, in partners and in participants, people who really mean it when they say they're out to change the world and leave it better than they found it. And as you well know, there's a lot of rhetoric out in the world and, certifications and all kinds of things that make people look like good citizens and things, but we want people who really mean it. And so we vet them and we look at how they answer our questions when we talk with them and, and really kind of see what they're about. But we have a contact form on our website on imperia.global where they can contact us and, and ask us whatever they like, really. Um, and that way they're, they'll be informed when the next cohort comes about or any initiatives that we do. That's great. So imperia.global. Very, uh, yeah. very 21st century. It's I like that. very, very forward thinking. Yeah. Well, it's funny because most people don't quite get it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell them, you know, it's imperia.global. They're like, and then what? what? And then what? <laughs> I'm like, no, that's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in, in as much as that is forward thinking and very futuristic, um, what I liked about what you said about what you look for from your partners and your participants is values-based stuff. 
Yes. And that's that's old fashioned, you know, where where you can tell about uh, the make of someone's character and what their motivators are, and uh, you know the the virtues and uh, and and principles that they live by. That's so important these days because it's it's really easy to get tempted and turned in a different direction by all sorts of competing forces out there. Oh yeah, and look, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking over to we've built. Uh, this framework that we take our participants through. And the first two pieces we work on are their internal conversation as a child. Mm -hmm. Again, it's the be the boss thing, right? Your daughter will be a boss. Don't know what kind yet, but she already knows who she is. So let's not, let's not stifle that. Let's keep that intact. Right? So that's the first piece because most of the world tries to shut that down as we grow. And then the second piece we look at for them are their, their core values, because when you're building a company, you want it to be aligned with your values. Otherwise, you're, you're fighting a losing game, right? So I'm looking right at mine. My three core values are a global mindset, integrity, and accountability. I, so love I know it. that every day, all the time, that is my, my three sort of guiding stars. And I can't believe you took the time to speak with us with those kinds of values. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but you're my favorite fellow philosopher. How oh, could I not? That's very kind of you. Well, um, I, I really hope people go to imperia.global and, uh, and root around your site there and sign up for the Imperia newsletter there. Um, I really anticipate a lot happening over the next year, you know, we're, we're out of oh, lockdown now. And, you know, I know so. you've been traveling around. What, what's your latest travel yeah. been? Oh my goodness. So this year I went to, I started in Scotland. Mm. I went over for a, a keynote talk. Then uh, I went to Paris. I went to, where else did I go? Uh, I went on vacation for the first time in years to the Dominican <laughs> Republic. <laughs> Uh, then I went back to Scotland to do uh, the Entrepreneur in Residence program and the summer program. And then I'm going back again in a few weeks. So I've been on a lot of planes this year, which Superb. was a lovely shift from uh, right. uh, being stir crazy. And look, I, I realize that that is a very privileged thing to enjoy on this earth, but I, I love being. I love being global. And so having to be stuck in the glorious New York City, nonetheless, uh, I still needed to get out of here. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, um, final question. You know, I know yes. uh, your your last name is Italian, but you've also got yes. Scottish heritage, which you just talked about. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you picked up on it, but the music that I undercut when I was reading your bio yeah, is called Yonder Hill and Dale by Aaron uh. Kenny. Um, you can find it on the YouTube studio uh, channel there if you want to source your own music. It's pod, pod safe music. Um, but pod as, safe. I remember pod safe. Sorry. Yeah, right. Back, <laughs> back from the old days. Back, so when yeah. you travel to Scotland, this is my final question. When you travel mm -hmm. to Scotland, what's your favorite food to have there? Well, I'll tell you something. The, the beef of Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire, mm -hmm. I should say, is the most buttery, gorgeous oh. meat that I potentially have ever had. Oh, and, and the thing about it is, first of all, in Scotland, the, the, the food is literally half the cost I pay here in New York City. 
And it's so fresh because it's, it comes from pretty close by. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, I'm not kidding for like seven pounds, which right now is, I don't know, $8 or so. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to the supermarket and buy a (sighs) ribeye that is better than pretty much any restaurant when you're going to have in the U S unless it's literally sourced from like a local farm. The, the, the food there is, so fantastic. I can't wait to get back because the, it's just the most gorgeous flavor and everything is filled with flavor. Like I'm talking even the, the cabbage and the cauliflower and the everything. It's just got so much flavor. (laughs) So my answer to you is all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Take me with you, please. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. You must come visit. Oh, well, what a delightful way to end an absolutely delightful talk. Jennifer Yanolo from Imperia. You can find her at imperia.global, uh, on Twitter, at Food Philosophy. Anywhere else we should direct people? I'm starting to put more stuff out on LinkedIn these LinkedIn. days, so it's just my normal name. Um, spelling will be in the notes. <laughs> yep, I will, I'll have links to all of these uh, in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll make sure uh, people get in touch with you and that we hear more great stories about Imperia in the future. Oh, thank you so much for having me, my friend. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you. There is so much potential in each of us. And when we understand the universal human truths that link us all together, it makes it possible to unlock the Imperia code in each one of us. Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more. For you are a leader. <laughs>